Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hey everybody, just a couple quick notes before we get started. What you're about to hear is an attenuated conversation between me and Ryan. We talked about unpleasant experiences. We had to cut the first half of that conversation off because we got pretty deep into some personal experiences that we aren't able to air, at least for now. So maybe we'll save that for the vault one day. But we answered a bunch of questions about unpleasant experiences, talked about our unpleasant experiences, and talked about other people's unpleasant experiences as well. I hope you find a lot of value in that conversation. Also, Ryan and I are hitting the road for the Less Is Now Tour, and this week we are finally announcing the first leg of that tour. It's 19 different cities, so here's what's going to happen. Ryan and I are going to hit the road. We're going to give an in-depth talk about minimalism, and we're going to record a live version of The Minimalists Podcast. And also, of course, we're going to dish out hugs afterwards and answer all of your questions in person. So the 19 cities we're coming to for this first leg of the tour, Pittsburgh, Burlington, Boston, Portland, Maine, Missoula, Spokane, Seattle, Portland, Oregon, Grand Rapids, Chicago, Madison, Minneapolis, San Diego, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, and Cleveland. But we're also announcing more cities as well. You can get the pre-sale tickets. Now, when I say pre-sale tickets, what does that mean? Well, pre-sale tickets go on sale March 8th. That's Wednesday, March 8th. That's tomorrow, the day after this, this uh, podcast goes out at noon Eastern time. That means that our audience gets access to the best seats in the house before any of the venues make the tickets available to the general public. But the pre-sale window is only 36 hours and you have to use the pre-sale code MINIMAL if you're interested in getting those tickets. Uh, Tickets go on sale to the general public starting March 10th at noon Eastern. And also, we're adding some other cities as well. You can find a growing list of cities on our tour page, theminimalists.com slash tour. We hope to see you really soon. I hope you enjoy this presentation of unpleasant experiences with The Minimalists. All right, everybody. Welcome back to The Minimalist Podcast. I am Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the minimalists. So Ryan and I just had a long conversation about a, a unpleasant experience that I had. That may or may not make this actual podcast. We have a bunch of questions from uh, different readers. So even if that conversation doesn't end up airing, we have a lot of questions and a lot of answers. We reach out uh, for some questions here on social media. So, about unpleasant experiences. Yeah, about uh, ba- basically it's like, hey, we're going to record a podcast about unpleasant experiences. What what would you like to ask the minimalist? So, Ryan, maybe you and I can, can talk about some of these. And I won't, I won't list names because some of these are, are fairly similar or some of them seem like they're fairly personal questions and they may not want their full name on, on the air. Uh, but we're still on the air, right? I don't I know if I'm ever – I mean, technically, it's going over Wi-Fi. That's on air, right? All right, uh, my question for the minimalist. Has there been something you have removed from your life that you regret? That, that, I could see how that would definitely be unpleasant, right? Yeah, definitely. So, so us going through an unpleasant e- experience of, of feeling like, oh, I've removed something that I regret. I, I can say for me, uh, there's nothing I've removed from my life that I regret removing. But I can talk about some regrets uh, of my own. Uh, one, it, my, my biggest relationship regret had nothing to do with, with stuff, obviously, although in an indirect way, I guess it kind of did. Sure. Um, was when my mom was dying, I didn't spend enough time with her. I mean, mm. her and I had a rocky relationship. A lot of people know this who, who read everything that remains. You know, the, the relationship that her, her and I had while I was growing up, my mom, my mom was an alcoholic and uh, obviously that, that strained our relationship a lot. So by the time I reached my twenties and I started just working in the corporate world, I, I certainly neglected that relationship, but I, it's cause I had walked away from that relationship. And, um, when I walked back to it was, you know, when I found out she had stage four lung cancer and, and I just, I, if I had to do that over again, I would have taken that last year when she knew she was dying to quit my job 
moved down to Florida, St. Pete, where she was living at the time, and I would have spent that year with her. Instead, I spent a lot of time for the corporate world. I spent like seven weeks down there over the course of those nine months that, that she was going through her chemo and radiation. But man, it was not enough time. And I still, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I still have bad dreams about it. And she still shows up in dreams. And like, mm-hmm. I, uh, I wish that, I, I wish I would have done a better job of, of, of managing that time. And the other regrets that I tend to have, much more minor than that, tends to be for not doing something sooner. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes I, I wish I would have gotten rid of something or I wish I would have exited a relationship sooner. I wish I would have walked away from my corporate career sooner. I, I, I wish I would have done something. So the regret, it is actually a driver for me to take action in many ways. The potential, uh, in my novel, there's a, um, uh, the main character, his name's uh, Jody, Jody Grafton. Grafton. He has a, a, a tattoo on his arm that says future regrets. Mm. And to me, that, that, that meant this, this as a, it's at least a double entendre, right? There is the side where he's like, I'm doing a bunch of stupid stuff now. I'm going to regret this later. Mm-hmm. But there's this other positive side where it's like, if I don't take action, if I don't make this change, I'm going to regret not doing this later. Mm. And so it's supposed to mean sort of both simultaneously. I'm going to regret doing the stupid stuff that I'm doing and being unproductive with my time, or I'm going to regret not doing something, not making this change, not walking toward the direction I want to walk. So I know that that one's a bit more vague, but, but I, I guess what I'm saying here is I use regret quite often to fuel uh, the the changes I want to make Absolutely. in my life. I was gonna say if I died with no regrets, I think I'd really regret that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny, man? Like, and so so maybe the the regret thing is it can be a catalyst in, in many respects. But no, there's never been something that I've gotten rid of that I've truly regretted. There's been a pang of regret, me. I, I wouldn't even call it re- regret, where. Um, I've gotten rid of maybe a, a shirt or something a, a long time ago where I'm like, oh, where's that shirt that I, I was going to wear this one today. Oh, it's gone. Oh, well, I'll wear another shirt. Like, when, when you start treating the items like tools and, and, and use them for their utility, mm-hmm. it's hard to really regret that thing, yeah. right? Does that make sense? No, it really does. I'm trying to think, like I had some opportunities to grab some of my grandfather's stuff uh, when he passed away about four years ago, five years ago. And I don't regret not taking any of it. Mm. Like I don't ever think like, man, like my dad and uh, my aunts and stuff, like they've all got a piece of clothing and it still smells like them. And, and like, to me, that's just like not letting go. But I mean, for me, not for them. Yeah. I'm just saying like, that's how it would feel to me. Like I, I don't judge them for it, but yeah, you wanted to be able to let go and you, you your yeah. ability to let go was also letting go of, of his stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, I, I totally agree with you, uh, when it comes to physical things and having regrets on not doing things sooner. And what I mean by that is, do you have any like concrete examples? Yeah. Trying, yeah. I was just getting ready to use one Great. before you interrupted me. I was trying to have a conversation <laughs> with you, just you man. and your monologues here. <laughs> You can just get out of the room for a second, Josh. I got about 15 minutes. No. Let me talk about all my regrets. <laughs> no. Uh, three years ago, when, um, you, well, you know, like the first year we left the corporate world, it was like we made like 20-something thousand bucks. Yeah. So I had like no money to do anything except sleep on people's floors and, you know, we had money for gas and stuff like to get us from point A to point B. Well, you're saying we went on tour. You weren't homeless. Right, right, right. Yeah, sorry. When we went on tour, <clears throat> I have, that's right. I got to remember like everyone listening to this, it's maybe their first podcast they're listening to. <laughs> so yes, that's exactly what I meant. Um, And I remember like snowboarding and the gear that I had, like the snow pants I had were torn and like just they had lost their waterproof, whatever was on there. My jacket was not waterproof. So like on the days where it was, you know, wet, heavy snow, I mean, I would just be drenched and it was miserable, but I loved snowboarding so much. Like I would, I'd just like push through it, you know? Yeah. Cause the well, other, the other option was not doing it at all. Right. Exactly. Well then, you know, fast forward a couple of years where it's like, okay, great. Like we started to get some traction and we're like, holy cow, like we're, 
I'm not just beholden to like, you know, living off of this like really small budget. All of a sudden I was like, oh wow, like I can afford some new snow pants and, uh, you know, a new jacket. Yeah. And I remember going through like the first season that I felt that I went through that entire season without getting new stuff because I was like, no, I don't need like this stuff still works, Mm -hmm. but it was unpleasant. Yes. And like there was a certain point where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Like I, I am, uh, I am depriving myself for the sake of just depriving myself. Like there was no other reason for it. It was, it was me being stubborn and it was like, no, I'm a minimalist. I'm not going to buy a new snowboard, even though I can, you know, I could probably afford that now. I think that's, that's good for uh, like the Stoics talk about, you know, uh, living without for a period of time so that you can sort of reground yourself. Mm -hmm. And, and and they'll often talk about how bringing things into your life has more to do with removing unpleasant situations than new things aren't going to make you happy. If I buy you a, if I buy you personally a Rolex watch Mm -hmm. right now, expensive, they're like $3,000 stainless steel watch. Oh my God. Did you get me a Rolex? (laughs) Is that what is in that box over there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's not going to make you happy, right? No. B- because it's not solving a problem that is already unpleasant, that, that's making you miserable in some way. Right. Uh, it's not fixing. Now, there are some people, there are a very small sliver. Of, do, do you know the whole Rolex story, why they became like popular uh, amongst you know, certain people? Yeah. So, no. uh, uh, it's a great, it apparently was, I don't know if it's still the best diving watch in the world, but at one point it was, oh, wow. it, the Rolex was the best diving watch in the world. Like I think it was maybe back in the sixties and I could be wrong on the time frame there, Interesting. but the point being 50s, sixties, whenever in these, these rich guys would go, you know, down to Turks and Caicos for the weekend and do some crazy diving. And then some of them would just like wear their, their Rolex on Monday and people would be like, what is it's clearly, it was just a stainless steel watch, but it was a status symbol. Like, Oh yes, I go diving on the weekends clearly interesting but it truly did add value to their lives because it 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 went it was it it survived farther under the water than any other watch at the time and so it actually served an important purpose and and so there are some people where that would and maybe in some weird world even save their life a rolex saved my life no seriously like you're keeping track of time when your air is going to run out no absolutely like time is important when you're diving and but then of course it became a status it it, it became a status symbol and they added diamonds and and uh, gold bezels and and all of these other things that were not the initial intention of this really well-crafted watch that did cost a lot of money because it performed a very specific function Mm -hmm. and my point being is that there, while there is a small segment that would get huge benefit from that, it's not solving any kind of problem for you. But in your case, these snow pants or jacket actually kept you from experiencing an unpleasantness that was unnecessary because you could afford to remove that unpleasantness. And right. therefore, in a way, the, the stuff in, in that case would make you happier, not by the virtue of the stuff, but by removing the unpleasant experience of an otherwise positive uh, experience in your right. life. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I yeah, I guess that's what I'm uh, where I'm coming from with like yes, I have put myself through unpleasant experiences just to make sure that it truly was unpleasant. Like wh- when I, you know, I've got this uh case for my phone that's a battery. And I remember when we went on that tour, um you see that tour like we haven't been on 6. <laughs> that well the tour I was talking about earlier when that first year when we left the corporate world after yeah, yeah. that. Um, my phone was like dying left and right. Um, and the car was okay with GPS, but when we were in cities, especially like Portland, for some reason, like Verizon just doesn't work awesome in Portland. So it's like constantly draining the battery. And then when we would be walking around Portland with a GPS, like it would die quickly. Right. So like there was a point where I was like, okay, this is miserable. Um, I need to get that freaking battery for my case, you know, a, uh, so if there's an emergency, someone needs to call me, they can, and B when, you know, when my phone dies and if you weren't with me and didn't have your phone, then like I'm screwed. Yeah, you were solving a problem. Right. Exactly. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, is like, yeah, I certainly, uh, have kept myself in unpleasant situations just to be sure that they were unpleasant. Cause I think sometimes, you know, going back to 
uh, the difference between discomfort and unpleasant. Sometimes it's just uncomfortable, and that's okay. Yeah, and so in case we don't air that first segment of this, let, let's just go back and talk about that real quick. Uh, uh, discomfort and unpleasant. We're, we're trying to delineate between the two and, and realize that discomfort, at least for the way we're using our uh, nomenclature here, is discomfort leads toward growth. Unpleasant experiences don't necessarily have a positive outcome or neutral at best. Right. Which actually would mean they're not neutral. If it's unpleasant and the outcome is neutral, then it's it, it then it's an unnecessary. So maybe the word to use here, Ryan, is unnecessary. Yeah. So unpleasant equals unnecessary. Discomfort is necessary mm. for growth. Be putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation is the place from which you grow the most. Whether you're going to the gym and physically growing, you're working on a creative endeavor and, and you're growing there, you're growing spiritually, mentally, through meditation. The, these are often discomfort situations. They're situations that are uncomfortable for, mm. for many of us, and, but they produce a necessary, positive outcome. Much of the time, not always, but much of the time, yeah. they lead to a positive outcome. So th the discomfort is necessary. The the negative or neutral result from an from a a um, unpleasant experience is unnecessary. We can remove the unpleasant, and and then instead it work. It's like when we work toward having better problems. It means trying to make ourselves uncomfortable as opposed to making our selves experience an unpleasant uh, experience or situation i see what you're saying there I, I do think though that sometimes i think an unpleasant experience it may be unpleasant for us but for someone else it is helping them grow if that makes any then, sense then I, I would i would just recategorize that and say that it that is moving toward discomfort then it, because if there's a positive outcome then i would say that is discomfort and then the question is how do we how, how do we take a look at the unpleasant experiences we have that are unnecessary and how do we turn that into growth because you can turn it into yeah. growth it turns unpleasant well, it'd be like to discomfort it would be like if bex came to you and said hey i want to have another kid yeah and like you did it just you know to put yourself through the unpleasant even though she may be growing right like there is it's still like <clears throat> i guess it's still an it's a net negative i guess is what it would come out to be right um for me yeah, for you. Yeah, and right. and I, I think that's important to know is that has more to do with aligning your your values and your beliefs. And uh, that in that case, our values and beliefs would be uh, th those are mutually exclusive, right? Mm. Uh, th th those are binary choices, either having a kid or not having a kid, getting married or not getting married. The, th these are these are binary choices. Uh, living in uh, the northern hemisphere or the southern hemisphere. Right? These are binary choices that you, you can do one or the other. You can't really do both at the same time. And, and so uh, that, that's a completely different discussion situation. But I guess what I'm saying here is there are other choices that, that we make that are unnecessary. Sure. And because they're unnecessary, they they cause that discomfort, which leads to anxiety and then ultimately leads to misery and despair. And, and despair means that, that you don't, there, there is no hope in the future, right? It's, it's the opposite of hope, in fact. And so regret, to get back to this person's question here, regret has to do with looking at the past. Mm. Despair has to do with looking at the future. Hmm. Uh, and so future regrets is really just despair in many ways and i think we can turn the, the key here then is to turn that despair into action so we don't experience in the future that despair is a good thing it says i see enough pain in my future that i have to make a change right now mm -hmm. otherwise it's going to be so unpleasant that uh, I, i'm i'm not going to live my most ideal life i'm not going to be my most ideal self right whatever that may be all right let's move on to uh, another question here what happens when you go too far and you accidentally get rid of something that was precious to your wife? But you thought <laughs> <laughs> Hypothetically speaking. Well, actually, this is fun. Uh, but you thought it was junk. Do you, go, do you go out and dumpster dive in the thrift shops or just get used to sleep on the couch? Hashtag asking for a friend. 
<laughs> well, I mean, so a few words that stood out to me there, Ryan. Uh, the first one is precious. Mm. I think if something is too precious, you're probably holding on to it too tightly. Yeah, and, I don't and, know. And uh, I think about that. But if you're talking about someone else, I can't tell that other person that I think that's too precious. So you need to get rid of it. And therefore, I'm going to get rid of it for you. So I know for me, if I if if anything is too precious to me, I'm holding on to it too tightly. And the only solution to that isn't to let it go is to loosen my grip. Mm. Loosen that grip a little bit and see if it's still serving a purpose. Is it bringing you joy still? And if so, great. But if it's just precious for the sake of being precious, it may mean that you're clinging too tightly and you're leaving claw marks on, on that thing. But again, that's for your own stuff. The, the other part is you can't get rid of other people's stuff. That's just wrong. Yeah. And yeah, I would never, I would never, whether I thought it was junk or not, I would never get rid of someone else's yeah without asking stuff. yeah without asking. so I, was, I would say hey like yeah learn from this mistake don't ever get rid of anything that's not yours uh it's actually i mean it's in a weird way it's theft right i mean you're, you're taking yeah. someone and even if you like so if i broke into a jewelry store today and stole a diamond necklace and then threw it out or donated it to goodwill i would get arrested for that right i'm not saying you did the same thing and obviously your intentions were much better than that but you know the 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 road to discontent is is paved with good intentions yeah i I, you know i'm gonna take this a step further and say that it's not just precious but let's say it was like worth millions right Uh uh-huh and they were like that's that was my retirement right like that piece of junk that you just threw away was worth two million dollars well like what would you do at that point Ooh, yeah you're gonna go dumpster diving absolutely you're gonna go to the thrift shops yeah so uh i would and not only because like, Hey, it's worth like monetary that much, but like if it was your retirement, like I'm going to do my best to get that back for you. Sure. So if you screwed up, you gotta, you have to write the situation. Right. So yeah, I mean, and yeah. And for me to just throw my hands in there and be like, Oh, sorry, I thought it was junk. Like that's not showing support from, you know, in my opinion, that's not showing support. You're not understanding them. You're, you're, I mean, so we go through those, those four steps, the T A R A. You're not even tolerating them, right? If you're getting rid of someone else's stuff without asking them, man, that is a real like jerk move. Yeah. And, and I get it. I understand why you would want to do that because I, w- I would have that same uh, desire to like, well, I don't see any value from this, so I should get rid of it. But guess what? When you're living with someone else, you have to deal with things together. And you know, uh, so uh, Bex, Ella, and I have been playing the 30-day minimalism game this <laughs> I month. I love how it started off with Bex playing. And then it was Bex and you, and now it's Bex, you, and Ella. Yeah, or maybe, yeah. maybe it did alternate into three of you. Well, yeah. the intention. So no, the, it's great, man. It, it was, so it was Bex's idea to do it. So we have a, a minimalist house. You can see a house tour at minimalists.com slash Milburn. And you can you know see all of our stuff. We, we don't we don't have a lot of stuff. But the, the point is, can you still start to question the things? And so at her... Even when you think you have everything perfectly curated. Yes. Yeah. No, more, I, I will t- you guys doing it has inspired... Mariah to do it really yeah and like I like I don't have I don't think I have four, 500 things to get rid of <laughs> I Seriously. know right like, I, like I you might end up being naked at the end of the right month or but she was like well if you and I do it together and I'm like okay like I'll support you right I'll get rid of the things I can but like I don't have 500 things but yeah going into it as a team is definitely but yeah no thanks for the encouragement though man because well I'm, I'm glad I you, feel like we have a very tidy house but like I I mean yeah if it was my house like we would have a lot less you'd have fewer shoes but you're not going to get rid of you're not going to go <laughs> in and get rid of I Mariah horrible shoes. In stilettos I don't think Mariah <laughs> has one pair of stilettos but I, <laughs> I remember that we did this charity race and you had to wear we all we all wore stilettos in that. <laughs> it was called like run a mile in her shoes and <laughs> Oh my! Like I, I, I who won that race? I think I. Who won that race? You came in second. Hey, <laughs> in the finals, I came in second. I will have you know that you almost won. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were the first loser, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks. But no, I you you ran so fast in stilettos. I I can't run as fast. The and key is ra- high knees. High knees. Okay. That's it, man. Yeah, I, dude, I, you were just, I mean, I've never, I can't run as fast as you were running 
if I'm wearing regular shoes <laughs> and you were wearing slow, I think I broke both my ankles that day. Like I rolled both of my ankles trying to run in those things. I, yeah, I remember you. Um, you just dropped. You didn't even finish the race, did you? I didn't even finish the first lap. <laughs> I was like, I rolled I'm both of my ankles in oh, the first lap. Dude. Uh, yeah. So we were. And in I ended up with. I don't know if you remember that huge blister I had. Oh yeah, yeah. Like there were medics there, <laughs> and I had after that final. And that's the only reason I didn't win that final race is because I was like, okay, I'm like, I'm severely injuring myself yeah. right now. Yeah. But like they had to like. It was like, for good calls. We weren't just running it, in yeah, it was Yeah, it was for, it was for charity. But uh, yeah, I went to the ambulance and they like wrapped my foot up and stuff. Like it was the blister. Oh my, it was the worst blister I've ever had in my life. So anyway, um, back to that. You wouldn't just get rid of Mariah's shoes, obviously, because you, no. ah, I don't think these look good on we're you playing the We're playing the men's game. Well, I, you know, we're in it together. I'll just get rid of some of her stuff. Yeah. yeah no, that, I would that's never a bad that plan. Husband. Instead, what, what you would do is you would, you would encourage and and you do that through showing and i think playing it together so you can go to to bex's uh instagram account it's just at minimal wellness and each day she's posting the photo of the the stuff we've been getting rid of uh, this month and what i've found encouraging from that whole thing is you will continue to curate right and by setting that example you're able to really start to question the stuff that you thought was valuable to you mm. And you're doing it together. And what what happens when you do something together? You get their buy-in. So to to this guy, obviously don't do that again. Yes, you have to find a way to make it right. And if you can't find this item and it was a a precious item that um, is irreplaceable, you're still going to have to find a way to make it right. And no, making you sleep on the couch is not the the, the right answer either. That's that's a a weird way to handle things, but an understandable uh, this person's understandably discontented by your actions. And so, yes, you're you're going to want to figure out how, how can I make this right and then how can I keep this from, from happening again in the future. So mm-hmm. this is an opportunity for you to, you're having an unpleasant experience now, mm-hmm. no doubt about that. But from this, it's an opportunity for you to grow together and say, I'm going to better understand your needs. I'm going to better understand you as a person, as an individual, and how that helps our overall relationship it helps us together next question all right here's an interesting one Uh, does becoming a minimalist change your perspective on unpleasant experiences to better prepare you to deal and cope with those situations either physically mentally or financially i was i was talking to a friend ryan this uh weekend while i was making a long drive and um he he's middle class makes good money and he's tethered to a particular lifestyle though, right? And, and so he's tethered to making this income. And uh, while he has an adequate amount of- Is it just his lifestyle or is it his family's lifestyle as well? It's both. And I think they're all, I think they're all on the same page. He and his spouse and, and their kids. Yeah, there's a lot more to consider when you got a spouse and kids. Uh, they're absolutely Because you're not just changing your lifestyle, you're changing other people's. But yeah, keep going. And, and so it's, it's even more, in fact, uh, I was at a museum this weekend, and a gal walks up to me and said, hey, you're one of the minimalist guys, right? And I said, yes. She goes, uh, I see that you have a kid now, and you didn't have one in the movie, so is it more difficult to be a minimalist now that you have, have a kid? And I just looked at her and I said, it's more important mm. now that, that I have other people relying on me, mm. that I live more intentionally. Yeah. And you can see the look on her face, and she had like three kids with her and her husband, and she's like, oh, Wow, like, okay, now, uh, that was, like, the first time she got it. Like, she saw the documentary and kind of got it, mm-hmm. but, like, when I said, it's more important mm-hmm. when, when you have other people relying on, on you, she was like, oh, like, it isn't just about me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so dealing with unpleasant experiences, um, you know, so you, you know, a moment ago, you talked about when we walked away from the corporate world, yeah, I, I remember making $23,000 that year, which is not the poverty poverty line, but it, it's relatively close. It's certainly not a lot of money. What is poverty? Eighteen thousand. I think it's eight. Person? I think it's eighteen. Yeah. Okay. Eighteen is some change, um, and it may be slightly higher than that now with inflation. But um, around then, it was it was about eighteen thousand, and so it was just above that. But I also remember growing up poor, making my mom made less than twenty thousand dollars a year, and I, I remember being very discontented there, and being even more discontented making good money in the corporate world because I was making bad decisions with the finances that I did have 
But I, I was telling my friend this weekend that I was on the phone with, and he makes you know, probably six figures uh, a year. So he's like upper middle class, right? Sure. And has has a, a decent sized family. And um, he, he was talking about like being tethered to that lifestyle. And to me, that's where I was in my 20s, where I was te- part of the discontent was I was tethered to having to make that kind of, because I don't think there's anything wrong with making money even now. It, it's the habits that we have allow us to better focus the money that, that whatever we bring in, whether it's 23000 or if someone were to show up tomorrow with a million-dollar donation at theminimalists.com slash donate. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, just need, we just need to fool one person. <laughs> it will be set. But, yeah, I mean, if somehow, I mean, obviously you and I aren't millionaires, but if, if somehow someone were to show up with a million dollars, we'd, we'd have the ability to – to spend that money oh, yeah. better than we would have in the corporate world. Yeah. And we already, we, and we exhibit that through our everyday actions now. Um, who was it who said to me early on, like, if, if you're not, if you're not contributing, making $30,000 a year, what makes you think you're going to contribute making $300,000 a year yeah. or $3 million no a year? Doubt. And now the, it, is your ability to contribute greater when you're making more money? Of course. If your needs are met, of course your ability is greater. And in fact, your duty is greater. And not, I'm not saying any governing body needs to dictate that you need to, to give this, this much money. It's much better that you have that option, that choice to do that. And so minimalism has allowed me to be more deliberate with whatever resources I have, whether they're plentiful or they are uh, uh, scarce. If they're scarce resources, I'm still able to be more deliberate. And so I was telling my friend this week when we were talking on the phone, I felt more financially free at age 30 making $23,000 a year than I did at age 28 making, uh, what, 10 times that almost, yeah. nine times that or whatever it may have been. I felt more free being close to the poverty line because my decisions and my habits were so much better. And then of course, once I started making more money than that, I felt even more financially free because I had set up the habits that allowed me to continue to question those resources I was bringing them in and allocate them in a more deliberate way. So I forget the question we're answering. Well, it's about unpleasant experiences and, and, and uh, does, oh, does yes. minimalism let you handle those <coughs> unpleasant experiences right. Uh, in a better way. Yeah, I, I think for me, I am, uh, I am able to avoid more unpleasant experiences now. Meaning, like if I throw myself into an unpleasant experience, uh, there is some kind of net positive coming out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's it, 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 then it, it, once again, we're, we're in, we just have to use the the right definitions here for for this conversation. Is that what you're able to do is unavoid. You're able to avoid unpleasant experiences and really lean into those uncomfortable exper- experiences. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I get, yeah. Uh, I, I think I understand what you're saying. You're really not buying into this here. No, I, I, I just no, no. Which I, is I, weird because you totally were bought in. When we were first talking about. No, it. I'm I mean, trying to understand what you just said. That I'm something I'm not bought in. I'm calculating or like trying to comprehend. Well, the, the unpleasant experience being one without any type of positive outcome. It's unnecessary. Unpleasant experiences are unnecessary. D- uncomfortable experiences are necessary. Yeah. We're, we're not going to uh, live a life that is, we're not going to nerf the world mm-hmm. and, and have uh, Uber deliver all of our food and, and you know, be stuck in a virtual reality 24 hours a day. Yeah, that, that would be a, a life void of uncomfortable situations right i would argue that's a life full of uh no experiences exactly exactly <laughs> and and, and not so, having experiences yet yeah and so it would be it would be pacification right yeah you, you'd be you, you'd have this infantile experience where everyone is taking care of your every need but you're not going to feel any kind of growth from that so maybe a better way said is i'm able to decipher better between unpleasant and uncomfortable situations right yeah because you you are embarking on discomfort out of necessity whereas before yeah so no what what i'm trying to decipher what i the reason why i'm getting stilted here is because i think that like an unpleasant or an uncomfortable situation is going to the gym okay right it's uncomfortable right but i would i would posit that the hour or the hour and a half that i spent at the gym it's unpleasant but the, what makes it uncomfortable 
versus unpleasant is that yes, I'm, there is some growth coming out of it. Yeah, we're we're just using different terms then. We're we're getting bogged down in in the vernacular of it. What I'm saying. So you could have. What, what I'm saying is, by definition, that's not unpleasant. Okay. So what about you spend a week somewhere? It's unpleasant. Let's say first. I mean, let's say that. I don't know, dude. We're, we got hired to go to Mars uh-huh. to talk about minimalism. Okay. And we've got to spend, a, you know, uh, six months on this unpleasant journey uh-huh. to get to Mars for this. I would argue by definition it's not unpleasant. Okay. And, and, and I think that's the difference is uh, an unpleasant experience is an unnecessary experience. And, I, and the only reason I'm, I'm, okay. I'm differentiating between the two is I, I want to lead people, help, try to help lead people and myself down a path of embracing discomfort. Yeah. Lean into that discomfort. Mm-hmm. Treat discomfort as a positive choice that allows you to grow. And the only way to determine whether or not something is uncomfortable or it is unpleasant is to look at what is my potential outcome. Not as what, what is the definitive outcome because here's the other thing. You could have an a uncomfortable situation that actually doesn't end up getting you the outcome you want. Maybe it's, it even gives you a net negative. Like, it, right. 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 you were willing to take the risk. Exactly. I'm with you. Because it had the potential for a positive growth experience. Yeah. yeah. So again, to answer that question about like, yeah, does it make it easier to go into unpleasant experiences? I guess, uh, yeah. Uh, I stick by the answer of like, yeah, I, minimalism has helped me to avoid as many unpleasant experiences or unnecessary. I'm going to start saying unnecessary instead of unpleasant. Okay. Yeah, it yeah. has helped me avoid uh, many unnecessary experiences. Yeah. I, and I think that that's a good way. So to it's put not it. that I embrace them more. I just, I have fewer experiences like that. Yeah. So, so the only thing I would add to that is to me, unpleasant situations, things that remain constantly unpleasant become unnecessary. Now, and minimalism allows me to identify that much more quickly as well. Like, no, it's not necessary that I walk, that, that I work at a cubicle nine to five every day anymore. Right. It's no longer necessary for me to do that because I've changed my habits. I've changed my lifestyle. I've changed my needs. I've changed my wants. I've changed my desires so that that is no longer necessary. Whereas before it was it was still, it was unnecessary, but it was a choice that I was making. And so I, I was constantly faced with this unpleasant situation. Yeah. All right, let's move on to a couple more questions here. Here's one that's also about regret, Ryan. And, and so I think it'll be a, a good question to piggyback on that to that first question. How can I get over the regret of bad decisions I've made that have led to bad experiences? So l- let me just say that I think that regret is we need to differentiate here between regret and suffering. So I think regret can be a good thing if it inspires action, like Mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. right? I I think it's a bad thing to suffer long-term. There's always going to be some sort of suffering. I think of what Tony Robbins talks about. He lets himself suffer for 90 seconds so that he can feel, you know, the sort of regret from a, a situation, but then actually do something about it. Like suffering a perpetuity is not productive. Uh, short-term suffering, feeling regret, that is, can be productive. So there, there are situations where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, let's talk about actual regrets we've had. Okay. Uh, I regret in 2014 not doing better on the venues. Like, I really regret that. I, uh, so... Like about, I look, so I look back and I think People who about, don't know who we are, what do you mean by that? <laughs> Hi, I'm Ryan. Uh-huh. And this is Joshua Fields Milburn, and together we are the minimalists. Oh, we've already done that. Oh, so, yeah. I forgot. So in 2014, what happened? So 2014, uh, yeah, the 100 City Book Tour that we went on, um, it was way bigger than what we had anticipated. It started to grow like way bigger than what we had anticipated. Yeah. And I think about like probably the worst experience we provided for our readers it was the Indianapolis venue. Yes. We had probably 500 people show up. Yeah, 400, 400 whatever. Yeah. Hundreds of people. Yeah. Our venue held 70. <laughs> it was in the basement. It was one of the most dampest basements I've ever, I mean, it was, you know, great bookstore, great independent shop, but it was just not a, it was not a great venue, especially for the people that showed up. It was like so the, we ma- tr- the manifestation of a fire hazard too. Yes. Oh yeah. Like there was, yeah, it was horrible. Um, it was raining like crazy. People were getting, yeah, soaking wet, waiting on us. And I mean, there were some people legitimately angry. Yeah. 
you know, sending us emails. So, and, and it's not like I regret making those people mad. I just regret not providing a great experience. And we had several venues where it was, we had hundreds of people show up and we had to turn down hundreds of, we had to send hundreds of people home. Yeah. And uh, I really regret that. Yeah. Now I don't lose sleep over it because every single time we've had an event after that, right. We've been able to plan well, make sure we had a good venue and everyone's welcome and, or we're very clear on, Hey, here's how many seats are available. Mm-hmm. If you don't have one of these tickets, well then, you know, you could show up. Maybe there's going to be a seat for you, but we're better at setting expectations. We're better at setting up the venues. We learned from that hundred city experience a lot, man. I yeah. Mean- so, so, and, and that's really what I'm getting at is, is like, how do you avoid feeling the regret of the past is you, you stop repeating the past. Mm, yes. And you, you learn from those regrets. Um, Cause, cause imagine if we were not, cause we're going to do a tour again this year, the less is now tour. And can you imagine if we took the same exact approach we took three years ago, we'd, we'd get mis- the same result. And in fact, yeah. it'd even be worse because we have a larger audience now. So it'd be even worse result if you keep doing the same thing. It's not that you keep getting the same result. You'll get a worse result because you're wasting your time at some point. Yeah. But like, but sitting there and holding on to like, let's say, oh, I regret that. You know, I cheated on my girlfriend at 22 years old. This didn't happen. Well, maybe this did happen actually. But anyway, you know, I look back and I'm like, oh, you know, I cheated on my girlfriend at 22 years old. And man, that was a really good relationship. And God, where would we be right now if I hadn't cheated on her? And, you know, what uh, what amazing life would I have? Like that, that is useless rumination, first off. Um, But the second thing is, is like now, you know, I would approach my life like, okay, uh, I know how bad it feels when I make someone, uh, when I cheat on someone and make them feel like that. Oh, and by the way, I don't want to ruin relationships like that anymore. It's, right. it's learning from that experience. But if I was to repeat that at age 35 now, well, I'm doing it to myself at that point. Sure. Yeah. It, so, so maybe what you're saying there, you talk about like the endless ruminations, the what ifs, what, well, if I, what if I wouldn't have done that? And what if I would have done this instead? Instead of dwelling on the what ifs, what if we start to dwell on the what now? Yeah. And, okay. That did happen. And I can't get caught up in the what ifs because it's an infinite tree that will lead to a million different potential outcomes. But what now? Yeah. What are the outcomes now that, that I can learn from that? So back to the tour thing, you know, we, every year since then we've planned better. We did a smaller tour in, in 2015, the word tasting tour and we we tried some new stuff knowing that we would fail on on that tour because we wanted to try and introduce some new authors and stuff but that was okay we went to it with that expectation let's learn some stuff from this and then last year uh 2016 we did the uh, the tour with our documentary which really you know, was much better planned than previous tours but even then we had some sound system issues that we learned from and just some different venue interact when you're dealing with these bigger venues uh you learn about setting the right expectations with them and so when we're doing tour stops this year what we'll do we're not going to have a perfect tour but we will take the learnings that we have from previous years and and use them to our benefit going forward yeah yeah i think that's i think that's the best way to get over regrets is stop stop repeating the same regrets (laughs) yeah yeah because otherwise you're going to stay stuck in that cycle yeah All right here. What's next? All right. So this question says, how do you deal when people say slash criticize that minimalism is just for rich white people? How do you make your work more inclusive and intersectional? I got to be honest. Like we'll talk about this, but I'm so sick of addressing this question. Yeah, Yeah. I'm sick of it. I was thinking about it earlier today and it's like, Hey, um, let me go ahead and stereotype you. Uh, and, and cut out a whole group of people just so I can feel better about myself. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I am so tired. To, to say that minimalism doesn't work for you, that's fine. Uh, yeah, totally. But to say, well, it doesn't work for this whole group. Minimalism doesn't work for poor people. Bullshit. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't work for you. And maybe it's harder for you. Because, yeah, you can look at us and say, oh, well, these guys were poor. Then they were rich. They've had like, you know, they've been on both sides of the spectrum. So it's easier for them to understand. That's acceptable to me. Uh-huh. But to sit there and say, oh, it doesn't work for me because I'm poor, that's a, it's an excuse. Yeah. And, it, and it pisses me off. Like every time I hear that question, it is a, 
it is a it's a stereotype and it's never I don't can't think of one, I mean we <clears throat> to survive like we got to be able to look at a snake and say oh shit that might be poisonous right so there are stereotypes that we have to do to survive but this stereotype is not survival it's an excuse uh-huh. and I got dude I am so sick of addressing that question yeah any yeah. any anyone who thinks that out there is um uh you're being prejudiced against poor people yeah it, it really frustrates me well it reminds me of this so we get emails like this if not daily you know weekly I mean similar emails but this one just came in I'll change the person's name we'll just call him Christopher he says hello my name is Christopher Smith uh, forgive me for the grammar. I am currently a homeless veteran uh, who literally has lost who has l- lost it. All my friends, lifestyle, job, loved ones, and quite literally my mind. Of course, I'm in debt, but I s- but until I watched your movie, I have I've been a- a- on a hopeless downhill spiral of self-pity and drug use. I'm so new at all this stuff. Uh, it's quite hard, but it's rewarding. I just want to tell you guys that you saved my life. Now, what I would say here is we didn't save his life. Maybe this message helped you know, sure. t- turn things around. I, I don't want to take credit for saving this person's life. But um, I think the message of, of minimalism and living more deliberately has, has helped helped him out. He said, I have an incredible story, but also I have a lot of work to do. You two have given me a new outlook on life. And we get this all the time. We have people come to our events. We have people who uh, will send us emails or contact us in person, however it may be. And and I can tell you that the people that minimalism helps the most are the people who want to make a change or in many cases need to make a change, right? And it has little to do with their socioeconomic status. It has little to do with their background. It has little to do with their geography. It has much more to do with their willingness to to make some sort of changes in their life. And it's just a tool, by the way. It's not going, a a hammer is not going to fix your house, right? You have to be willing to use that hammer to repair the things. And the same thing is true with minimalism. It's just a tool. And it's a tool for anyone who wants to live more deliberately. And so that's not my typical response. My, My typical response to any sort of criticism is, well, you can go back to the, the criticism episode. It's a bunch of crickets uh, because uh, I know better. But for this person who has an unpleasant experience in their life when, when their, you know, their friends or whomever is uh, criticizing them, well, yeah, that's fine. Minimalism is for uh, rich white people or whatever. Y- you know what? Who, who else that's really insulting to? It's really insulting to like the people in our documentary like Leo or AJ or Christine or the dozens of other pe- diverse people who aren't rich white males. Uh, it's really insulting to them because what you're, what you're saying is, you know what? Yeah, but your opinion doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, you're some sort of token person, and yeah. it's just offensive. Yeah. And, and so what I would say is that uh, uh, I'll say what Rob Bell often says about the critics here. Yeah, I, I'm not here to argue with people. I'm here to help some people hear the music. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really where, where I want to go with this is, yeah, there are going to be some critics, but I, I'm not doing this for them. I'm doing it to help some people hear the music. And so is it going to create an unpleasant experience for me? No, I'm not going to let it. It's part of it. It's uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah. You, you know, you've used the, uh, the arena example. Who, who, who's the one that, uh, Roosevelt, really, Teddy Roosevelt really talked about that. Yeah. So he talked about how, well, the example was, uh, the people who are criticizing you were not in the arena, meaning they're not, they're not the gladiator gladiator in their fighting. Right. Like they're not, they can't talk to it because um, they have no idea what the fight is like anyway. They've never experienced it. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's pointless. But I think another way to look at that example is, you know, we're the gladiators in the arena. Yeah, we are. Look at this loincloth. <laughs> You've got the gladiator hair, man. <laughs> and you're dipped in oil right now. <laughs> I had Sean rub me down before this podcast. <laughs> no, it's man. good, man. But you know we're there for the we're there for the spectators in the arena. Yeah. So you know someone criticizing that they're not they're not there to watch the message any they're not there to watch the fight anyway. Yeah. 
So like if they're not even in the arena to observe, right? Like why would I give them any clout at all? Right. I mean it's they're they're like on the outside of the arena, you know, like <laughs> with a protest sign or something. Like right. I mean it's yeah it's really odd, but but yeah I I I don't I don't know how many times I can address this question without yeah I just without exploding man because it really does. I mean, like, the, every time I hear that question now, like, it, not, it wasn't so bad. Like, when we were on tour in 2014, we had that quite a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, like, the I don't know why over the last couple of years, the more and more I hear that question I, asked. I can tell you why. Or when I, why. I, I know why it's more frustrating because you've seen it help so many people mm-hmm. who are in despair. Yeah. You, you, over the years, before where you're like... Yeah, I mean, you and I grew up poor, and you you know from a firsthand experiential basis that minimalism would have helped us growing up when we were poor, right? Oh, it would yeah. have helped us better focus. It certainly would have helped us in the corporate world as well, refocus our time and attention and, and resources that we had. And it helps us now that we're, we're, we are minimalists, we're living more intentionally, but you've also, and so the, you had the firsthand experience, but you, you didn't have as much of the seeing dozens, hundreds, thousands of people yeah. who have experienced a better life, a more meaningful life, more purpose in their life, change in their life. You've seen it now. And so for you, you're like, if you could just put on the, these goggles and see what I've seen, you would realize how dumb your question is. Mm-hmm. And, and because you, it's like, it's like if, if a person who's colorblind comes to you and, and says, well, don't you think that, that seeing color is, is you know, just for a certain type of person? You'd be like, well, no. I, I, think, I, I think it's for anyone who, yeah. who, who, who's able to experience that. Um, and, and so I, I think that it makes you frustrated because you have seen people like Christopher there. Who it's, a, well, I, it's frustrating. It's a scarecrow argument, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like straw man. Straw man. Scarecrow, straw man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, they're both made out of straw. <laughs> man, if it was just me doing this podcast, it would, <laughs> it would be so good. I don't know if people would understand me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, it's a straw man argument, and I'm I'm just sick of it, man. Cause, Cause like at this point, it would be like it would be like a flat world societer mm-hmm. constantly pestering me about the world is flat. Yeah. Like at this point, it's like shut up. Yeah, you just ignore it. Yeah, like, it's like it just. And I think that stop. I don't care how I, you could type me a ten thousand. There have been articles, five thousand yeah. words, two thousand, whatever, about how how uh, you know uh, basically doesn't work for poor people. Uh huh. And I've never seen an article written that wasn't some lame ass straw man argument. Right. Yeah. No, and, I, it's, I, and I'm just, I, I, I'm just, I'm just fed up with it. I think that's a great analogy, man. Because so, how how do you deal with people that come up to you and say the world is flat? You you kind of don't. You just smile and nod. And you go okay. And you <laughs> pat them on the head. Yeah, I I disagree with that. Okay, have a nice day. Yeah, and and because you and I know, and honestly, most people know as well. I mean, you have to be pretty obtuse to to think that living more deliberately with the resources you have is not beneficial for anyone. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's a good place to end with the unpleasant experiences. But we would love to hear what you have to say. If, if you have any unpleasant experiences that you've turned into uncomfortable growth giving experiences in your life, give us a call. Let us know. Uh, 406-219-7839. We will air our favorite comments and, and tips and advice on the next episode. Let's move on, Ryan. I don't have any sort of paper in front of me, but do you have anything that's added value to your life recently? Um, man, I'm trying to think of something local. Zootown Brew's got some awesome uh, cartel in right now. It's a washed from cartel? Salvador. Yeah, really? Did you convince them to get cartel? No, I actually walked in there. They were like, "You got to try cartel." I'm like, Been "They were like, well, it's funny because Grace there." God, yeah. I love everyone. God, that's like my favorite coffee shop <laughs> in Missoula. Um, right. Actually, the people there, I don't know. Maybe I just, I just, I literally know every single person there by name. Yeah. Zach, Grace, uh, who else is there? Uh, Mackenzie just started a couple of weeks. Or no, I'm sorry. Michaela just started a couple of weeks ago. She told me to call her macaroni and cheese. I was like, I may or may not forget your name. She's uh-huh. like, just remember macaroni and cheese and you can just call me that. I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Spencer. Spencer owns a place. Yeah. yeah. Jonah. I don't know if Jonah's still there or not. Um, 
Anyway, regardless, uh, they've got an awesome cartel, and they also have an Onyx. Uh, it's a Kenyan Onyx that's really tasty right now. Oh, I love on Onyx is based out of Arkansas. Uh, they're like Fayetteville, I think, or somewhere in uh, the Ozarks. But uh, they, yeah, Onyx is a great roaster. So, yeah. so you're recommending a local coffee shop? Yeah, for it's our it's Missoula a, listeners who, I haven't, Ryan, who Ryan I haven't already convinced to go to Zootown Brew. <laughs> Well, no, you kind of put me on the spot. No, there, it takes, you know, the, the, what our audience doesn't know is it takes me a lot to come up with a recommendation <laughs> because I don't digest a million books and a million podcasts all the time. Uh-huh. So uh, it's harder for me to be like, oh, yes. Yeah, like, and then I always, I always feel bad when I'm like, oh, yeah, I bought this LED red light bulb. Here's a thing you need to add to your life. So like there's a balance between like totally being able to recommend something and like maintain this lifestyle and like, you know, feel good about recommending something like when it. Yeah, truly adds value, but no. Well, I uh, think I think that's important though. So so the added value segment on this podcast are things that have added value to my life or your life, and it doesn't necessarily mean that we think it will add value to anyone else's right. life. If you don't like coffee, Ryan's recommendation is a bad recommendation. It won't add value to your life. If you like coffee, there's some great. I mean, every every a couple of weeks, it feels like we're talking about a different coffee roaster the stuff that we talk about will, will probably add value to your life if you like coffee. Yeah. Oh, you know what else is going on this weekend? What's that? Big Sky Film Festival. Oh, nice. I just went and saw this movie. Um, Actually, I will recommend this movie. It's called... Hold on. All the Rage. That's what it's called. I haven't heard of it. I really wish I would have taken you to it because it was specific to people's back problems. Mm. And it was funny because my chiropractor, he was like, you go to the big... This is like a week or so ago. You go to the Big Sky Film Festival, and I'm like, yeah, maybe. Mariah's volunteering at it, and like she's got a bunch of stuff going on. I'm like, yeah, I think we got a couple passes. Like, I might go check something out. He's like, you got to go see All the Rage. And I didn't ask him what it was about. Uh huh. I was just like, oh, okay, thanks for the recommendation. Is it a short or is it feature length? Feature length. It was like 70, 70 minutes, something like that. Okay. And like, we started watching it, and I'm like, oh, this is why my chiropractor recommended All the Rage. Yeah. But it's about this gentleman. His name is escaping me right now. Um, that's an awesome name escaping me <laughs> speaking of pickup artists <laughs> um, but basically it all comes down to the mind and body uh, synchronization he doesn't uh, like this doctor that the movie was kind of revolved around I mean the kind of the movie kind of jumped all over the place but the idea was the pain that we have in our lives, there is a, there is a difference between like, I break my arm, my arm is physically broken, right? But the pain that we experience afterward uh-huh. is directly linked to how we're treating ourselves and how our mind is. It's kind of woo woo. Yeah. It sounds like John Sarnos's book. I think that's who it was. Okay. Yeah, is, yeah, it, yeah. is it really like older gentleman? What was his book called? Yeah. I, I forget. Um, like back pain relief or something. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Something, something rather generic. Yeah. It's yes. something I've read. I mean, my back pain is has a lot more to do with just dysfunction, uh, many years of dysfunction. But I I agree with the there is a link between our our mind and our body. It's not it's not standing in separate corners of the room. Yeah, I'm, I'm I gotta look this up and see if it is John Sarnas. That really that does sound familiar. Um, All right, while you're looking that up, yeah, I'll, what do you got? I'll, to I'll give you uh man uh Aquilo, one of my favorite bands. They have released a bunch of EPs over the last few years, but this month they just released their first full-length album. And I think that everyone who does Album of the Year awards should just go ahead and put the award in escrow right now. It is a great album, man. I will second that. And, and so check out Aquilo. It's called Silhouettes. It is, uh, it's like atmospheric sort of, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's British kind of pop kind of singer songwriter it's just atmospheric it's beautiful their voices are like instruments and uh, it's a great album silhouettes by aquilo yeah uh i did just look it up and yeah it's john sarner okay yeah, yeah so um it was a great movie and it was just like uh i've talked to so many people who have gotten immense value from his book and I, i've tried it i've tried the exercises in it did you read the book yeah yeah, yeah. and um it's it didn't help me but but i i don't yeah. discount the yeah, yes you're right there are some parts that are a bit woo woo wee but um yeah i think john sarno's stuff only works for rich white guys that's what it is <laughs> and we're just white guys and um <laughs> you know what i i think that um 
I, I wouldn't discount the book, and that's why I read it and practice the exercises. I've gotten a lot more value. In fact, I, I, once I once I get to the other side of all this, my back has improved so significantly over the last year from where it was two years ago. I mean, day and night difference. I'm not all the way on the other side of, of fixing it yet, but I, I've implemented a lot. I'll, I'll talk about all the stuff that has helped me. The thing that's helped the most, uh, two things, uh, PRI, which is the Postural Restoration Institute, um, they, they, I have a physical therapist who helps out with that, but then the thing that's helped the most is, uh, Peter Goskew's book. It's called pain free. Also, there's one, the one before that was just called, um, the Goskew method. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I've bought that book by the case and handed it out to people awesome. uh, that have exercise. The, the, the exercise that ha has helped me immensely. It got rid of my sciatica. I thought you were going to say the exorcist is what really. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> they got the demons out of my back. <laughs> Get the demons out. <laughs> Uh, but that that's helped out a lot. And then with my gut stuff, I, I've had a lot of issues. I'm repairing my gut. Um, uh, I'll talk to you about this off air, but I may uh, I have another test coming up in two weeks. But uh, that's going to determine whether or not I do a fecal transplant, which oh my will, God. will be interesting to talk wow. about. Um, so I have something called C. diff, which kills something like 14,000 people a year in the United States. And uh, we've been doing a, a a lot of weeding of my gut and it's come down a little bit the the amount of uh of c diff but not significantly and so the way to treat it uh, they, they found this the most the most recent round of these clinical studies found that the the fecal transplant is so much more effective than doing another round of antibiotics or, or something like that right. that uh, they're in the middle, this rarely ever happens, but in the middle of the test or the, uh, the what, what's it called? The double blind placebo controlled okay. uh, experiment. Uh, they, 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 in the middle of it, they stopped and they stopped giving the people antibiotic and just gave them all the fecal transplant because it was, it was so effectively curing C. diff that, I mean, we're talking, I, th I think five, Five years from now, maybe less, it will be the one of the the top treatments, and wow. it's already happened a lot in the UK. But it'll be one of the top treatments in the US as well. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't get to that. Hopefully, this round of weeding has 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 killed off enough C diff that I'm moving in the right direction. I don't have to get to that, obviously. Yeah. But uh, uh, I've been working with uh, Chris over at NourishBalanceThrive.com, and he is a great um, counselor. And the doctors, the team over there, have been really great. So. I don't get paid for telling anyone about that. In fact, I pay him uh, to help me. In fact, I was just talking to him this morning on a consultation, and they've really helped me with my gut and fatigue and and different issues of adrenal fatigue, yeah. my supplementation, getting back on the right probiotics, really great uh, probiotics, uh, tweaking my diet. I already had a great diet. It's pristine now. We've changed a few things in my diet that has really helped my, my gut health overall, just my overall health. So Chris over at nourishbalancethrive.com has helped out with that. So as, as soon as I feel like I've, I've effectively healed myself, whether it's my gut and or my back, we'll do a whole episode about healing, which I think will, a lot of people get benefits from. For sure. All right. Yeah, that movie, All the Rage, no, it was great. Um, I, I, the only other thing I wanted to say is when I was watching that movie, it totally helped me understand how like an MRI doesn't really tell you anything. Because yeah. you were explaining to me how you can have MRI of one person where they've got a bulging disc and it's pushing on a nerve and they feel nothing. Right. But then you got someone else and they feel so much pain. Yes. And that movie actually helped me make sense of that. Right. Because it's like, how how do we react to pain? Some people are using it as a crutch. Right. As an excuse to, I mean, there was this one gal who after the movie, she just like got up and was bawling and she was like, I never realized how I totally use my pain as a crutch. Yes. Oh, well, you know, I'm not going to do that today. Oh yeah. My back's acting up today. You know, right. like, so yeah, it was really, uh, yeah, it was really, it was a really good movie for sure. All right, well, let's move on to right here, right now. This is where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. Ryan and I are hitting the road this year for the Less Is Now tour. We're going to give an in-depth talk about minimalism. We've got a presentation there, but more important, we're going to uh, do this podcast, a live version of, of the Minimalists podcast in, in front of live audiences, let you ask your questions, interact with us, and of course, 
there will be a lot of hugs exchanged. Those are obviously optional. They're also free and transferable. So hopefully you'll come grab one. We're coming to a bunch of cities. We already announced the Boston date and that date is getting ready to sell out. We're going to announce a bunch of other dates really soon. You can find all the details and also sign up for our email newsletter to be the first to know about new cities that we announce over at theminimalists.com slash tour. I'm really looking forward to that, Ryan. Um, what, yeah, else, too, man. what else is going on? Oh, reviews. We've had a bunch of people who have uh, given us five-star reviews recently. just want to say thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, we never do advertisements. We think advertisements suck. And so you're not going to hear advertisements on this podcast, but there are a couple ways that you can support the podcast. You can either donate over at theminimalists.com slash donate. You can do a one-time contribution or a monthly contribution. Or uh, if you can't afford that, totally understand. No, no obligation there. We'd love to get a five-star review from you on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'd really appreciate that. I think that's all I got right now, Ryan. That's all I got too, man. Maybe we have, Sean, maybe we have some uh, comments and, and tips from our listeners for this episode. Hi, my name is Stefania. I'm calling from St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm calling with a suggestion for your clothing episode. I've been using these socks called Darn Tough. It's a company from Vermont. Um, they guarantee their socks for life. I think all they sell is socks, actually. And while they are a little bit pricey, they do go on sale. Um, and the thought of having socks that will last either my entire life or that will be replaced by the company feels really right, like it's right up my alley. Um, I've had these socks for over a year now, and they look as good as new. Um, I have had to return one pair, and the company had excellent customer service, so I highly recommend them. Hey, Josh. Hey, Ryan. Uh, my name is Angelina Gomez. I live in Las Vegas, Nevada. This is in response to your podcast, Dealing with Criticism. Uh, there's a quote that I found recently that I've been implementing into my life to really help me. It goes as follows. Treat everyone with politeness, even those who are rude to you, not because they are nice, but because you are. Hi, guys. My name is Jennifer. I'm calling from Houston, Texas, and I just had a recommendation regarding the clothing episode. Um, a app called Poshmark, whether you're buying or selling, uh, it's a really great tool. It's mostly for women's clothes, but they have a lot of guys' clothes on there as well. Um, I've sold so much of my clothing on there, and it's super streamlined and easy to use. They make it really simple, but also have been able to purchase a few things, a few quality used clothes um, for a really good price. All right, y'all, that's it for today. If you have a question for The Minimalist, give us a call, 406-219-7839. And if you leave here with one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. See you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear